right, all right. Hey, welcome to Rockbridge. Welcome online connections and in our six physical locations all over the Northwest Georgia, greater Chattanooga area. We're so glad uh, that you're here. My name is Matt, if I hadn't had a chance to uh, say hello to you. So we're in the middle of a, a series that we've said is called Live No Lies. And we started this on Easter and we kind of recognized something about ourselves that we can believe a truth and still live a lie. And that our greatest danger, which we unpacked last week, is deception, is deception. And so I want to move into this this week by asking a question that you've asked of yourself, you've asked of other people, and you've asked about the world. Have you ever just stopped and said, man, what is wrong with the world? Right? I mean, you, whether it's the news or the state of affairs in, in, in a country or in a city or, or somewhere around the world, what in the world is wrong with the world? But you've also asked this question, at least uh, if you're honest, you said, hey, man, I, what's wrong with them? Right? Maybe it's your crazy aunt. I don't know. But you've said that about some friends. And then in, I think in moments of honesty, when we recognize, hey, we've gone stupid, we've done stupid, we've got regret, we've also said, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And what this series is designed to do is just to show us what's wrong, but also to help us move away from that and move in a different direction. So, so here's what's wrong with you, with them, with the world. Because me and you, we make up the world, right? And, and so what comes out of me and what comes out of them makes the world wrong too, right? And so it's a universal problem with a great solution that we'll get to. But here's what happens. There's deception, and we looked at that last week. There's deception that plays to our disordered desires, that we take God-given desires and we choose to satisfy them in dangerous or illicit or problematic ways. And all of these disordered desires are normalized in a sinful world. Like it's okay to want that, do that, have that, you know, and so all of that plays together, right? So we, so Satan appeals to our disordered desires. We enthrone our desires. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, right? And the world is just an echo chamber. You deserve it. You can have it. If it feels good, do it. God wants you to be happy. That makes you happy. You're doing God's will when you do something that makes you happy. But this is what's wrong with the world. In Ephesians, Paul says it this way. He describes it theologically. He says, you were dead in your trespasses. That's sin, missing the mark and your sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world. The world normalizes sinfulness and brokenness according to the ruler of the power of the air. That's the guy we talked about last week, Satan or the devil. And that's the spirit now working in the disobedient. He says, you, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. So all that's working together. What I want, the way I want it, when I want it. It's why your wife gets mad at you for being selfish. It's why you get frustrated with people who are lazy or greedy. It's why, you know, it's just the, the fleshly desires, right? Carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And then we were by nature children under wrath, meaning the wrath of God is angry at the world, angry at the sin, as the others were also. And so this is what's wrong with you, what's wrong with me, and what's wrong with the world. And then the question is, well, what are we going to do about it? Or how do we do something about it? How do we get out of living the lies? How do we get out of in the moment I could not help myself? You've thought it, I've thought it, in order to live according with the truth. So the big question is this. 
what do we do about our desires? Because you kind of only ever do what you want to do unless somebody's powerful enough to make you do otherwise. And so even when you sin, why did I do that? Because you wanted to in the moment. Why did I do that stupid thing? Because you wanted to in the moment. So what are we going to do about our desires? Because I I just want to be real honest, the deceptions from the enemy are going to continue. The world will continue to be an echo chamber and an environment that appeals to your fleshly desires and that, that, that Satan has some authority over. Until Jesus comes back, you and I have to deal with, we live in a world and we have th- that is opposed to the things of God. We live in a world that is you know, for our happiness on Friday night, even if it makes us miserable for a lifetime. Okay, that's the way we live. And the deceptions that lie to you, that lie to our young people, they're not going away. So we have to figure out, okay, how do we change our desires or how do we handle our disordered desires? Because what, one of our problems is our want to. We all have a want to. Our want to is broken. You know, because we want to feel good in the moment. We want to live a life that's motivated by pride. We want to do certain things that ultimately work against our freedom and our happiness. So the big question is, what do I do about my desires? When I would rather do this than help someone. When I would rather, you know, chase a dollar than invest in my marriage, right? What do we do about those desires? Well, the world, and remember the world echo chamber. So the world is, you're not going to leave here and hear something other than what this is. The world's going to say, just follow your desires and freedom is doing whatever you want to do. That's what the world's going to tell you. I mean, I, I, I should have quoted this. There's a Supreme Court decision that one of the justices says, hey, happiness is doing what you want to do right? But what if what you want to do hurts someone? Or what if what you want to do ends up enslaving you on down the road? So there's problems with this, but this is what we operate with in the West. In fact, the new authority of the West is the self. I mean, we're a selfie culture, right? The new authority is I do what I want to do whenever I want to do it, and no one should tell me otherwise, and it's my right to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it, right? Now, here's some problems with that, okay? Here's some problems with that. Not all desires are created equal, right? So so we recognize that, but not all desires are created equal. Like when you go to someone's funeral, right, nobody's going to stand up there and say, Man, this guy was awesome. He played Xbox until he was 87. Man, that guy was amazing, right? I said that because my boys are sitting over here to my left, right? Now, <clears throat> nobody's going to say that. People are going to say, man, he sacrificed for his country. He sacrificed for his family, or he was generous with his time or his money. I mean, that, that's kind of because not all desires are created equal. No one's going to, you know, at your funeral, it's like, man, this guy was just the king of Krispy Kreme. He was always a Krispy Kreme. Praise the Lord, right? That's just not it, right? So no, all desires are not created equal, but the world would sort of present that. The a second problem with this is many desires are contradictory, 
This is what we don't think about, but many desires are contradictory. Have you ever been to the, do this? Next time you go to the grocery store, look as you're checking out, look at the magazine rack, okay? And it's gonna say, you know, about this time of year, it's gonna say how to fit in your, your swimsuit by the spring. It's gonna say how to lose 40 pounds, how to get a six pack ab. And those magazines are right there. And then you look above them and there's a shareable size M&Ms for sale. That's contradictory, right? That's contradictory. So just being motivated by what I want, when we want is problematic. And then third, our self was not designed to handle this amount of autonomy and freedom. One of the reasons there's so much anxiety, so much stress is because so many of us are trying to make it happen on our own. We've put the burden of identity and happiness and purpose squarely upon the autonomous, independent self, and we don't know what to do with it. See, we weren't created to be autonomous. Our biology tells us that, right? I am dependent upon the position of the earth. My body requires sleep and water and food, and I need that to come from creation, right? And then in God's original design, we were created to live under a benevolent authority, being God. That's why one of Jesus's identifications is he's King Jesus. We were created to live under benevolent authority. In fact, I would say this way, maximum freedom is actually found under the best authority, which is God. And so one of the reasons there is so much anxiety, so much fear and stress is because we're putting all of that pressure on ourselves and we're not designed for it. So doing whatever you wanna do, that's just not a solution. Well, there's another one and some of us, you know, this could be our story, we get enslaved. I did what I wanna do and now what I wanna do rules me and controls me. And a lot of times, you know, some people who've never struggled like with chemical addiction, they just think, oh yeah, that, he's talking about addicts and stuff like that. No, there's people who are controlled by money. There's people who are controlled by their job. There's people who are controlled by what people think of them. There's people who are controlled by, you know, technology. There's people who are controlled by anything other than God, and that enslaves us, and it doesn't give us freedom. It might when we first start, but later on, we're enslaved by it. In fact, the, the Bible kind of tells us this, so you don't have to believe the Bible. You've, some of us have lived this. Each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. What do we do about our desires? Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Something dies. So the question becomes, what are we gonna do about our desires? And so the great thing that we're gonna talk about today is we're gonna talk about an awesome truth, but to get to the awesome truth, we've gotta understand there's a half truth. And this half truth gets said a lot in Christian circles and in churches, and it's, it's incomplete though. And the half truth is this, Jesus died for me. Now that's completely true, but it's only half true. So Jesus died for me, that was a demonstration of his love, that was substitution because he died instead of me, Jesus died, but it's an incomplete truth. And if we just stop here, we're still left and we're still stuck with the problem of, of, our, of our desires, all right? Half truths do not fully deliver people to live the full and abundant life. 
A half-truth will not result in full life that Jesus promised. Uh, that Jesus died for me, this is kind of what I see in culture, right? You see a lot more people, like they kind of wear crosses, like especially like entertainers and athletes. Like it's like hip to wear a cross. It's hip to say, God loves me. He died for me. He's got a plan for me. But then you look at their life and their life is totally ruled by, they do what they want to do. And, and, and it's sort of, sort of kind of like God has sanctioned that, that, that activity, and, and, but Jesus died for me. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever thought this? I can do what I want to do because God will just forgive me. I mean, yeah, I mean, most of us would say, yeah, you know, maybe if you've been in church, you've kind of used that excuse. And, and, and what is happening is we're settling for less than the life God has for us. And to get the life God has for us, we've got to do something about our broken want to. We've got to do something about the fact that our desires are messed up. And the full truth, though, does this, what this verse says. And this is the power verse for this series. This is if you're memorizing scripture, this is the verse I'm encouraging you to memorize. You will know, this is what I'm praying over our church. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we want to get to full truth. We want to get to full truth because when we have full truth, we are not vulnerable to Satan's deceptions and lies. And then we get to the free, full life that God has for us in Christ. So our, our main passage of scripture today is going to come out of Romans 5 and then move into Romans Romans 6, and, and, I, and I'm praying that God will use this to show us something and to give us something that's so powerful in our lives. Here we go. So let me, just, let me just walk through this. All right, so through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So we're talking about Adam's disobedience infected the whole human race. So all of us now have a sin nature. Adam is sort of representative of all of humanity. We looked at that fall and the mistakes and the sins that happened uh, last week. And so everybody is born a sinner, right? So also through one man's obedience, Jesus, he's kind of sometimes called the new Adam, the one who gets it right, the many will be made righteous, that Jesus is going to make a way for us to go from being a sinner in Adam to being righteous in him. The law then comes along to multiply the trespass. Here's what that's saying. We are born with a nature to sin. So our want to, we all have a want to meter, you know, our want to is going to want to sin. Our want to is going to want to do evil things and bad things. And even though they feel good in the moment things, right? And so the law that God gave with Moses and the 10 commandments came along to multiply the trespass. That really means to make us aware to shine, to put a mirror in front of humanity and say, this is how you're falling short. God wants you to live with maximum freedom under his benevolent, good and gracious authority. This, the law shows us where we're missing the mark, okay? So it's like, this. imagine like, I, I just do what I wanna do. So you go to a store and you see something, you wanna have it, but you don't have money for it. So your impulse is, maybe I can grab it, maybe there's no cameras, maybe I can slip it in my pocket, but then the law says, thou shalt not steal. But it also, so you don't actually steal, but it does reveal my, my heart, my desires are inclined to steal, right? And, and so the, the law makes us aware that, hey, we're missing the mark. So then God comes 
and provides grace. So when sin multiplied, all of us little atoms, if you will, grace, free, undeserved grace multiplied more so that just as sin reigned in death, grace will reign through righteousness resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this phrase is key, grace will reign. Grace will rule. So God's grace will transform our want to so that we want to do right things. We want to do righteousness. So it looks like this. Adam, our nature. Little Adams, me and you, right? Born in sin and we do sinful things. God's law reveals we miss the mark. Christ comes, fulfills the law perfectly, right? and grace and righteousness are what he gives. Let me illustrate another way. All right, so we're all born in Christ. So if I had a stick figure, I'd put it inside this bucket. This is where we're all born. This is sin, this is death. Everything that's wrong with the world is right here because we're born in Adam and we do sinful things, okay? Christ died for me, right? Christ died for me on the cross, but we wanna get over here where we have life and joy and peace that's stable, that's permanent, that's full, and that's complete, okay? So this is the illustration, Romans 5. We're born in Adam, we're born in sin, and we want to get over here with peace and righteousness, and we have the cross here. Jesus died for me. However, A lot of people who would say Jesus died for me are still living as if they're in Adam. Okay? Now, even even some of you, and you would say, hey, I'm I'm a born-again person. Some of us would say, hey, why do I keep doing things that I know I shouldn't do? You've said it, and I've said it a thousand times. All right, we've all said it. People from the outside, and some people are still in Adam, and they're saying, yeah, but God loves me and will, and, will, and will forgive me. Nobody's perfect, God understands, so I can keep doing what I want to do. Or, or, or you're sitting here, I know God loves me, but I'm enslaved. I can't overcome my sin. I'm stuck. Life feels futile. It feels frustrating. And so we're not getting what God has for us in Christ. Now, when Paul writes this letter, he actually appears to be responding to some people who said that, hey, Jesus died for us and grace increased so we can keep living how we want to live, right? we can keep following our broken desires. To which Paul says, kind of in a Q and A format, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Can we continue doing what we wanna do? Can we continue being led by our disordered desires which are appealed to by the enemy and echoed by the world? And Paul says, absolutely not. And then he, did, and he says something that, that a lot of times you miss this in scripture. I'm still unpacking this. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And we're like, no, 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 Jesus died for me. And Paul says, no, 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 but you died to sin. And there's a little, what does that mean? What is he talking about? So, so he continues, but he basically is saying, look, don't settle for a sub-Christian life. 
A sub-Christian life is a Christian maybe who believes certain things that are true but is still so susceptible to the deceptions and the desires that we got from Adam and the world validates, right? So how can we who died to sin still live in it? And then, he's, then he goes another step, and he's trying to illustrate something that's the full truth. We got a half truth. Jesus died for me. He's trying to illustrate something that's the full truth. He says, or are you unaware that all of us, and so he uses baptism as a picture, right? You need to have a biblical baptism. So let's understand, you don't get baptized because you grew up in a Baptist church. You don't get baptized because your buddies got baptized. There's a meaning that baptism is designed to illustrate. So he says, aren't you aware that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? So there's something that's going on to us when we're putting our faith in Christ. So he goes on, he says, therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. No, no, Jesus died for me. That's half true. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now, here we go. So we too may walk in newness of life. So we look different. We walk in a different direction with different desires. There's newness of life here. So Christ comes in grace and righteousness. And just like in Adam, we produce little Adams. When we're in Christ and his grace and righteousness reign, little Christ results. So here he goes. We'll continue. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death. And this is where the full truth is kind of emerging. Paul's trying to do it slowly, talking about baptism under the water. When, if you stayed under the water, you would die. So it's symbolizing a theological truth that's going on that is ours by faith that not only did Jesus die for me, but I was united with him in the likeness of his death. We will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So to get to the resurrection life by resurrection hope marked by resurrection power, I have to be joined with Jesus in his death. He continues, for we know that our old self that does what it wants to do, the way it wants to do it, when it wants to do it. The old self is the part of you your wife or your husband doesn't like. The old self is the part of you that your parents kind of get mad at when the old self shows up, if you're a young person that's a believer in Jesus Christ. The old self is what's wrong with the world, yet the world appeals to the desires and echoes them as Satan deceives us into them. But our old self was crucified with him. So Jesus died for me, but here he says, part of me died with him. Interesting, right? So that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. So there's a full truth that so many Christians miss, and it results in an impotent church, and it results in Christians who don't look any different after they were baptized than before they were baptized. And here it is. Jesus died for me, but I also died with him. So when we're putting our faith in Jesus, we are seeing ourselves on the cross and something is dying with Jesus. So it's not Jesus died for me, thank you. 
It's Jesus died for me and I identify with his death and I see that my sin nature is dying on the cross and I am dying with Jesus, buried in baptism. So the old me, if it were held underwater, the old me dies. I come out of the water and that is symbolizing the newness of life, the resurrection life. So it is incompatible for a Christian to say, I can't help but do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's not who you are anymore. It is incompatible with, what, with the full truth of the gospel and the full truth of the cross for us to say, I can do what I want. God will just forgive me. It is incompatible for us to live a theology of nobody's perfect and God understands. No, he doesn't understand. He does not understand. Because full truth is, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he died for you, he died instead of you, but part of you died with him. And we have to see that and believe that by faith. And so it looks like this now. Here's the big difference. I am in Adam. This is how I was born, right? That is sin, that is brokenness, that's I do what I want to do, when I want to do it, I get enslaved by it, I get addicted to it, I get judged by it, but this is in Adam. But by faith, I now walk this way. I have a bridge to go over by faith that he died for me. He paid my penalty, he paid my punishment. But as I am trusting in him, I recognize that what, what was in Adam is dying. It is losing its power. And I am seeing myself, my old self dying on the cross. I see the horrors of sin. I see the love of Jesus. And then I move over and now I am in Christ. So what is true of Jesus is fully true of me. And I am learning to live that. I am learning to appropriate that. Does not mean, hear me, does not mean you will never sin again. It does mean you have power so you don't have to sin again because you have been identified with Jesus. So, so the cross, there's three things we have to get right on the cross. Demonstration of God's love for us. Demonstration of the horrors of sin. Sin did that to him. Love is, why he, is what he's showing us and displaying there. Substitution, Jesus in my place should have been me. Should have been my wrists, should have been my side that was pierced, should have been my head that was crowned, should have been me up there for six hours in agony, dying by blood loss and asphyxiation. Should have been me, but it was him instead of me. He substituted to get me out of the mess. But there's also identification. But part of me is dying with him. The part of me that put him there, I don't want to do anything else that put him there. I don't want to hurt the one who loves me the most, best, and longest. Okay? We have to see that and believe that in faith. So Paul comes back to Jesus now. Here's what he says. For the death he died, Jesus... He died to sin once for all time. So he's not going to do it again. It was that sufficient of a sacrifice, of an act, of an accomplishment of God. But the life he lives, he lives to God. It's what Jesus is. He lives to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living together. So in light of Jesus, you two consider yourselves. And this word consider, oh, we could talk about it forever. It's actually an accounting word. 
So you count yourselves, you reckon yourselves, you evaluate yourselves, you come up with this calculation of who you now are. So that word is, is important. In fact, this is the first command in the entire book of Romans. Takes Paul six chapters to tell us something to do. And what are those six chapters about prior to that? Telling us what Jesus has done. So you two consider yourselves what? Dead to sin. Part of you, the you that put him there, died there too when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But also consider yourselves, here he is, alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when you look yourself in the mirror every morning, or tonight when you brush your teeth, or this weekend when you shave, whatever. Is this who you see? That's who you need to see. You don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, man, I'm stressed because of work tomorrow. It all depends upon me. You don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, man, I am what I have done. Man, my past is terrible. You don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm hopeless. Life is over for me. You don't look yourself in the mirror and pat yourself on the back and say, at least I'm not like those people. You look yourself in the mirror and say, I am dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's a reckoning. It's a calculating. It's a considering. Paul says it this way elsewhere in Scripture. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified. There's our famous word again, with Christ. Not just Christ died for me. I died with Christ, so I no longer live. Now, what does he mean by that? The part of me that put Jesus on the cross is no longer calling the shots, baby. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body that could, used to be enslaved by doing what it wanted to do when it wanted to do it. I live by faith, trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, so here's where we get to, okay, how does this sort of flesh itself out? How does this show up, right? So, so the first thing for us as Christ followers, okay, is we have to learn to practice what Paul is talking about, present tense faith. A lot of our faith is we look back on what Jesus has done and maybe we look ahead to what he's going to do. But present tense faith to have present tense freedom and, fully, and fullness of life. So I have to consider myself every day, every moment, in every decision, in every temptation, I have to consider myself dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ. If I don't consider myself dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ, I will start considering deception and fall for temptation. But in the moment, I'm, I am dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the new reality. So, so if we're going to apply this, let me, let me talk through it and give us three applications, right? The first thing is this. When you're in a crossroads moment, or when you're in one of those moments where, how do I behave? What decision do I, am I making? What's driving me at this moment? Ask this question, which me is at work here? The old me that put him up there on the cross or the new me that's under his lordship and under his leadership? Because there's two yous. There's the old you, the false you, the old self still got power, still got power. 
It's like this. You chop a head off a rattlesnake, the snake's dead. It can still bite you, right? Don't try that, but it can, okay? Your old nature, yeah, it died, but it can still bite you. So which me is at work here? So, so listen, going on inside of you, there's two things that are going on inside of you. If you're a believer, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's self-denial where I have to say no to the me that put Jesus on the cross, flesh, sin, pride, ego, selfishness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also self-affirmation. I affirm who God created me to be and who God died for me to become. That is in terms of my character and in terms of my calling. So which me is at work here? So imagine this. Let's, let's, let's go to this. You ever watch like uh, championship games? Like let's, let's just do the Super Bowl since that's kind of the last big one, right? So we had the Bengals, Cincinnati, and the Rams from Los Angeles. You ever wonder how right after the game's over, the players automatically have Super Bowl championship hats and Super Bowl championship T-shirts? Like how did they know that, right? Well, it's because they make two sets, okay? I don't know if you knew that. That's how they know. That's how they do it, Okay. Uh, it's not like they're flipping a coin or anything. They make two sets. So if you imagine, and you're walking, you walk out of here, and you've got somebody, and, and in case you didn't know, the Rams won the Super Bowl, okay? So you walk out of here, and you see five people, and they're wearing, like, Bengal Super Bowl champion T-shirts. You're like, I didn't win that. Why'd you put that on? That's a lie. We have that choice every day. Which shirt do we put on? I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus and dead to sin or I'm alive to sin and dead to God. Every choice you make, every decision you make, every road you take, every time temptation comes, you're going to put on one or the other. Which me is at work here? There's a you that still has presence in you and still has some power. It's the you that put Jesus on the cross. We take that off. But there's also a you that's the best you. It's the eternal you. It's the you God's working to bring out more fully. You put that on and you put the other off. Second application. On the basis of truth, the full truth, what in my life, what in this moment do I need to declare is incompatible with the new life that I'm living? What is now incompatible? compatible, doesn't fit, doesn't belong. And, and, and that word to me is powerful, okay? It's incompatible with my character and it's incompatible with my calling, okay? It's incompatible because it's not who I am or not who I am anymore. There is power, listen to me, there is power in saying in prayer in a small group to your spouse, that is now incompatible with who I am and what he's done for me. This is how Paul said it. He goes, as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most craziest, incredible statement that's ever been made. Only thing I'm gonna brag about is an instrument of execution. I'm not gonna brag about how much money I make. I'm not going to brag about that I got the promotion. I'm not going to brag about anything except the cross. What does he mean by that? Because he knows 
everything he has that is good and great and glorious and forever was achieved for him on the cross. He knows that the man he is now is simply because of the cross, that the old him that killed people, the old him that terrorized the church, it died on the cross. And the new him that wrote the Bible, that wrote 13 books of the Bible, the new him that taught us so many of the great truths that we cherish today from his inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that is who came alive. And so the world is crucified to me through the cross and out of the world. So remember, remember the problem? The world echo chambers our desires. Paul's like, I'm dead to the world. That appeals to my flesh, my sin, my pride nature. I'm dead to the world because I died with Christ. So some things are incompatible. And then the third one, most powerful one, is we have to learn to cultivate better desires and better affections. And by cultivate and nurture, here's what I mean. That we begin to have, we have a desire for Jesus that is greater than our desire for sin. Let me say it again. My desire and my love for Jesus is greater than my desire and my love for sin. Thomas Calmers, a Puritan, called it the expulsive power of a new affection. So it's why single people who love being single people, suddenly they fall in love and they want to become married people. And they don't act like single people anymore. Why? They found something better. They love that better. They love her better. They love him better. Right? It's why athletes will wake up at four in the morning and you're like, how do they do that? I can't even get, bed. I can't get out of bed at seven in the morning because they love the competition more than they love sleeping that late. They have, a, they have a different affection. It's not they don't love to sleep. So you cultivate desires for Jesus. You cultivate desires for him. So listen. Here's the question. First question is this. Have you received the full truth that Jesus died for you, but you died with him and you're ready for new life today? I wanna to tell you how to become a true Christ follower, not a Bible Belt Christ follower, not a Bible Belt Christ follower, not an American Christian, a true born again, Jesus lives in me and I live by faith in him Christ follower. You have to believe in him. You have to believe in the cross, the empty tomb. You have to accept that he died for you. You have to accept this gift of grace and forgiveness. And you have to surrender you. You have to surrender the steering wheel. You, part of you dies when you receive Christ. Part of you dies with him. You see the you that put him on the cross. You surrender to him completely, and then you love him back. You express your love for him through obedience. It begins with baptism, and it continues to grow and mature on into eternity. That's how you become a Christ follower. That's how you become a true biblical Christian. So if that's you today, please let somebody know. Use a next step card. Have a conversation to connect here. Put a comment if you're on online connections, put a comment in the comment screen because this is how I, I, I'm ready. I need to give my life fully to Jesus Christ. It will, however, that's, however you want to express, it doesn't really matter. It's the faith in your heart that matters that I'm trusting in Jesus Christ fully. I recognize, man, he died for me, but I'm dying with him and I'm going to walk in newness of life. And then there's some of us here today and you just need to see 
some things that are no longer compatible with the new you. And you need to say no to those things because you have a better yes. And your better yes is Jesus Christ. Let's all pray together. God, thank you so much for freedom. Thank you so much, God, for the full truth of the gospel. Thank you so much, God, for loving us enough that not only, God, do you take the penalty of sin, but you also deliver us from the power of sin. And then one day you're gonna come back and deliver me and this world from the, full, from the presence of sin. And we'll live with you forever in a new kingdom. But God, heaven and eternal life starts the moment we start trusting you, believing in you, and following you. Eternal life now is life in Christ, the best life there is. So Jesus, we thank you for that. I thank you, God, for the decisions that are being made right now that are bringing glory and honor to you because of your great grace to us in your son Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen.